0: Welcome to Doing Good Business, the podcast where personal and professional development meet. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach and talent acquisition consultant, and I'm joined every week by my co host Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, training you to bring positive business practices into any company. Doing Good Business is the podcast that teaches you that doing good business is not only possible, it's profitable. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Doing Good Business. Kelly and I are super excited today. We have a guest with us who wears a lot of hats, and she's here to talk about one in particular, but I will let her share more about that. Our guest today is Dr. Kristen Donnelly. Thank you so much for being here. Can you share with us a little bit about all those hats we mentioned? For sure. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. This is such an
1: honor.
2: Um, So yeah, my name is Kristen. And I am the part of the rising second generation of ownership of Abbey Companies, which is a network of multiple companies that serves multiple industries. And so there's not a short way to explain us. So I apologize ahead of time. Um, so you're, no, but you not-
0: don't have the 30 second elevator pitch that every networking <laughs> meeting bangs you over the head with. <laughs>
2: No, no, because my answer is, uh, like, I have six companies. I have 30 yeah. seconds for each of the six, but, like, you've got to <laughs> give me some um, but You've yeah, been so in just fine our... with us, Kristen. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So our flagship is uh, called Abby Color. We make dyes and colorants. Uh, you have used us if you've ever taken Advil. We make the color for the outside of that. If you've ever gotten your eyes tested and you cry that yellow, that's us. Um, and we also do you know, do things like dye the Chicago river green for St. Patty's day every year. Um, We make biomedical stains for cancer testing and a whole lot of other things like that. We also have a division that makes high grade epoxies to fix the inside of ships while they're still underwater. We've got an industrial recycling plant. I've got a lumber processing plant. Uh, We've got a, and then I specifically with a business partner run a consultancy firm that helps small businesses and nonprofits ensure their cultural resiliency so that their people are always in place as they move forward in innovative ways. They can either solve and survive petty crises or they can uh, ensure preparation for rapid growth. Um, And in the midst of all that, I think the reason why um, our lovely hosts asked me here today is that we are in all of our labor positions, we are an intentional second chance employer and we have been for the nearly 30 years of Abby's company's existence. Started with one company. It's grown from there. Um, my father is currently passing the torch to my brother and I. And we frequently tell people, you know, I don't know in 30 years if we'll be making dye because industries change and who knows. But what I do know is that we will still be uh, creating opportunities for entry level no training manufacturing uh, in some of the more under-resourced areas of our country? Uh, and how do we ensure that um, there's opportunity all across the scale and not just based on where you were born or who you were born to? Uh, and that's a real focus of ours. That's, that's the plumb line of our company. That's the non-negotiable. Uh, what we make will change, we're sure.
1: It already has. But who we hire and how we do our business will not. Well, that's thank you, Kristen, for that because we are. I'm I'm so excited, literally on pins and needles over here to talk about this because I think it's really important. And for our audience who might not be familiar with, I love you know intentional second chance employer, open hiring policies. um, People are not necessarily familiar with them, and yet we know it's a tight labor market, right? Our current unemployment rate is less than 4% as of last month, March 2019. But when we break that down, the estimated unemployment rate among people who have been formerly incarcerated is about 27% according to the Prison Policy Initiative, which is really substantial. And maybe it's because we're in a tight labor market and we're gonna find out a little bit more from you about the why behind of this, or maybe it's because employers are increasingly looking to make a positive social impact. But more and more employers, even like McDonald's and Delta Mm -hmm. Airlines, are thinking about open hiring. So I just wanted to give our audience just this little quick background on it, which is really what is it? And there's a Greystone Bakery in Yonkers, New York. They also run the Center for Open Hiring. And I think they describe it best because they talk about it as hiring anyone to work, no questions asked. And, um, you know, they, they share that there are obvious social benefits to doing this, especially when you consider the average incarceration. Average cost of incarceration is about $30,000 per person, which certainly doesn't account for the loss of human potential. And there are surprisingly business benefits to open hiring as well, such as a lower cost of hiring. They do fewer background checks mm-hmm. that lowers the cost of hiring. And at least for a Greystone Bakery, it's a lower turnover rate. So that's my, uh, my educational primer for our audience <laughs> on um, open hiring second chance employers. And I'm so excited that you are here, Kristen, because we're really looking forward to understanding how did this all happen in your, your family's family of companies? How did this all come about? Why was it important to do and with whom did it originate? <sighs> Right. So before I get started, I do want to say, like,
2: I appreciate that they say no questions asked, but that's actually one of the things that we push back against because there are questions you do need to ask. Um, okay. And when you yes, no, we'll talk about open now, hiring, like,
0: what are the questions like, you guys uh, do ask? I'm curious.
2: Okay. So we ask we you. Our standard is if you show up every day on time and sober, we can we can we will employ you. So we ask about, we ask if you're going to show up every day. We ask if you have a way to work every day. We're in a part of the city that's uh, Philadelphia, that the public transportation services. So we make that really clear. We talk about, um, you know, substance abuse issues and problems and we do random drug screening and we do drug screening before all hires. We're a chemical factory and there's forklifts in the building. I can't risk the safety of my employer, of my employees. Plus we're in a neighborhood. I can't. I, I can't risk the safety of our neighbors. Um, so we do ask them questions. There are definitely boundaries put on it, but our boundaries are not education status, incarceration status, or, um, or prior sobriety status. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really care if you were in jail because at 15 you were picked up for shoplifting. I care that right. you want to start new now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't see how that matters. Um, so, but to answer your original question, it started with my dad um, and his original business partner. Uh, and the neighborhood that we're in in Philadelphia has been very hardly ha- was very hard hit by the leaving of manufacturing in the 50s, 60s and 70s in the United States. It was largely where the all the textile manufacturing was. And so our factory has been a dye house since probably the late 1800s, early 1900s in some fashion. Like there's still the hooks on our building that they used to bring the cotton up to the fourth floor um, wow. by Dale, You know, love it. So. Mm-hmm. um So it was an existing dye company that wasn't doing great. My dad and his partner brought it in, I mean, bought it and then re, you know, reformatted it. But dad's kind of thing with his partner was, you know, this neighborhood needs jobs. Um, We are a family of faith. um, And my, we are big believers in the fact that you can't build relationships with anyone who is hungry.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. And
2: so, and so we seek to, as a family who, for whom has been given much, and we've been given much opportunities. Um, our response is to create opportunities for others. And so um, food, clothing, and shelter are always our priorities. And so we know how to do that best by providing jobs. So dad immediately, as part of his deal with his business partner, was that they would figure out how to make all the um, labor jobs and even most of the, you know, secretarially skill set type jobs into things that, you know, you don't need a CV to get
1: Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: dad rewrote a lot of the formulas and a lot of the manufacturing processes to where people who were illiterate could read them. Um, As the neighborhood has evolved, we've made it more certain that you do not need to speak English fluently to work for us. You need to Hmm. understand English, but you don't need to speak it. You don't need to read it. Um, And, and how does that kind of all work? So some of it was, was dictated by the neighborhood itself. The neighborhood needed jobs and we wanted to provide it. Um over the years we've been open so eight, this eight, this month will be 28 years 28 years. Um we still have the very first employee that dad hired. Wow. Um, our turnover rate is minuscule. Our average labor um our average employee tenure is 12 years. Mm. Um Incredible. and so from a very c- cynical business side what we'll tell you is that when you hire folks who are looking just for an opportunity, the lo- and, and you treat them with dignity and humanity and give them the respect and learn very quickly that they will quickly learn their jobs better than you do. <laughs> and you will learn from them, um, the loyalty is unbelievable. We don't have turnover problems, uh, right. we just don't. We have other issues for sure, um, well, but we don't have turnover problems. And so, um, you know, it's that's a huge cost saver, but yeah, like I haven't, we've never run a background check. Um, right. I never will. Um, and so, you know, that we're also really small and that's kind of one of the other things you're not going to see a lot of, I mean, I'm very intrigued as this plays out with some of the larger corporations, how some of this works out. Cause once you get into government regulations, the government makes it very difficult to hire people without knowing their entire life's history. Um, mm-hmm. right? and so we get to fly under the radar of some of those regulations cause we're really small. And we kind of get to do what we feel is right, best by our folks and our employees. So now at this point, most of our employees that we do hire, we do have a couple positions that turn over because there's always folks that it's not a good fit for. Um, We hire hire like our employees, friends, family, church members, neighborhood members. Like we
1: pretty much only hire by referral now for most of our positions. (laughs) Well, that's fabulous, Kristen. I mean, there's just so much in there to just let soak in and absorb. And I would hope, that some of those governmental restrictions and regulations would change. I think it's the Ford foundation. You would probably know more than I do on this does a lot around this and social justice. And I, so I just use them as one example to say, I know that there are people who are thinking about this and thinking, what does that look like in a contemporary society where, again, I believe I don't have the numbers on this, but I believe we really like per person, incarcerate more people than most other countries we do i don't know we we incarcerate
2: yeah we incarcerate we have um over we have about 70 percent of the world's incarcerated population
1: and we're only about seven percent of the world's population and there you have it thank you that's why i love having a doctor on the show because i knew you were going to have those numbers thank you Kristen. (laughs) um (laughs) but that speaks to this you know it um well i won't call it a problem it speaks it's an opportunity it's an opportunity for the businesses it's an opportunity for people and this is what i love about what you're doing and and Greystone did report the same type of thing this this very low turnover rate where the average maybe is 17 18 percent um no i have that wrong 30 to 70 percent in in their industry wow it's 12 percent for them i love that so um Wonderful. So and you started to talk about some of the business practices that are really associated in that your father started to, you know, rewrite some of the the um, processes and reformulate things. Are there other business practices that I hope by now we've piqued someone's interest who's <laughs> listening to this podcast to go, wow, really? What would I do? Like what are some just high level things that companies could think of if they're if they're going to start learning more about how they, they too could become a second chance, intentional second chance employer.
2: Well, first of all, the first question I would have them ask themselves is how patient they're going to be. Mm, um, excellent. And how, if, if they're going to do it because they want to be noble and they want to get really good press, I would ask them not to um, agreed. because they, they won't treat people with dignity or respect that is deserved to them as human beings with life stories and choices. Um, I would also encourage them to understand the socioeconomic realities of their particular neighborhood and the concepts of, of the fact that people born into things like generational poverty are not always making choices. They often have choices made for them. Mm -hmm. And so understanding those dynamics, what is the, uh, what is the average adult literacy rate in your neighborhood? What is the average, you know, rate of single parenting? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say one of our biggest challenges is um, helping people navigate parenting um,
1: mm-hmm. in
2: a city that does not have appropriate resources. Um, I would also make sure that you're going to pay folks, if not, I mean, if not above, deeply above the minimum wage, <laughs> that you will meet right. the living wage in whatever your neighborhood is. Um you we know, encourage. We
1: don't
2: need, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we don't. We don't need to be doing table scraps here. Um, the minimum wage is not appropriate anywhere, and so mm-hmm. um, there's lots of living wage debates. But find it for your neighborhood that you're going to be working with your folks, and then um, you know the best. I mean, I'm a social worker and a researcher innately, and as well as a businesswoman, and so I would say find some community organizers and ask them what kind of jobs their folks want. You don't have to believe them, but have that data point. So the first thing I would do is collect data points um, and figure out what you're really looking at. Um, Ask yourself about patients. Look at some of your, um, you know, your manuals. Like most, a a lot of our employees are afraid of having bank accounts. And so having a 401k is not necessarily a priority.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, But a lot of our, uh, many of our employees go to check cashing places. And so we try to work with them to understand that that's predatory lending and they're actually losing a lot of their checks. And so can we move them to a bank account? The, our current employees, a lot of them have accounts. But historically, historically, I've spent time answering phone calls from check cashing places to make sure that it's a legitimate check. Um, wow. right. Ask yourself, like, when you say you want to help them and you want to be family for them, because that's language that lots of small businesses know, does that mean that you're going to help them navigate legal aid? Does that mean that that you are going to understand health care and your responsibilities under the Affordable Care Act? Are you going to understand the particular health stuff? How far are you willing to go? Uh, What are your non-negotiables? Like, there's a lot of companies in the world that if you throw a punch, you'd be fired. That's not ours. You do get suspended, but you're not automatically fired. Um, Right. You know, what is your, I mean, like, realistically, what's your substance abuse, like, uh, policy? Um, mm-hmm. where are your hard limits and where are the things you're willing to be a little bit flexible on understanding that everyone has different life experiences and everyone brings in different baggage to work every day. Uh, mm-hmm. And so how do you help everyone work, work together and understand Too, you, the more you have people from different and just disparate backgrounds, the less you're all going to get along like one big happy family. So sometimes mm-hmm. adjusting, like I work with, a, like I and my consultancy firm, we've, frequently work with a lot of, you know, white collar, upper middle class companies and the culture conversation there and the culture conversation in labor companies is different. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about shift working and people not ever really getting to know each other or meeting each other and, you know, things like that. And so asking those kind of really hard questions before um,
0: will just make
2: everything a little bit easier.
0: I love that, as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know this is a completely different conversation, you know, Kelly and I have similar backgrounds. We both come from you know that corporate america like middle class white lady background, to be quite frank, and it's a whole different conversation on benefits and it's a whole different conversation on culture and it's a whole different conversation on policies and opportunity and things like that and I just I love that the conversation is being had. um you know, I found myself getting excited when you were just talking, and I'm curious, obviously you we kind of quote unquote born into, you know, the thinking in this family of companies and at least with Abby color, but what lights you up about continuing this purpose and continuing to, you know, carry out this mission of being an intentional second chance employer. Oh, I don't really have any interest in doing
2: business any other way. Um, hmm. I think on a certain, on a certain reality. I mean, it is my, my brother, if he was on this, this podcast would tell you that for him, it means that, that absolutely no day is different. Um, and there's a lot of research behind folks that, um, you know, left school early or who didn't finish school that they probably have, if they don't have clinical ADD, they work best in controlled chaos environments because that's what their homes frequently are, or Hmm. certainly the city is, is an, is an era of controlled chaos. So it's very difficult for somebody who has not been enculturated to sit still in school to sit still, right? And so physical jobs are very important. And so, like my brother did finish high school, he didn't go on from there, um, and has and absolutely hates sitting at a desk. Um, I have been in. I was in school from three to thirty-two, and I really I mean, you have you have, real <laughs> yeah. you have all the physical gifts.
1: Yeah,
0: all the degrees. <laughs> I have all of them. We balance each other out, um, <laughs>
2: but but my like Brian always says that he really loves the he loves the controlled chaos of every day is different. Every product we make we can, we have the ability to make somewhere around four hundred products at our Philadelphia facility. We average wow. making around fifty, but like we can we are we're a specialty dye company. We can make a lot of niche products, and so depending on who's coming, which customer we're working for, what dye we're making, who's doing what it's all just a little bit different and for our particular for the demographic of our employees that really fits in with how um they've been enculturated to work right uh and and so that is so much more interesting to me than cubicles mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and um I mean, also just the very. I mean, like, I'm a really, you know, I try very hard to be a good daughter. This is my father's third child. I'm going to raise it well, you know. Um, Right. So that's a really important thing too. And then, I mean, just to speak from our faith perspective, this is our calling. Mm -hmm. Um, We feel very strongly that um, that this is the this is the purpose of this season and generation of the of the Nielsen family, um, which Mm -hmm. is my maiden name, Um, and we will keep going from there because. We know we were all born on third base in terms of the world. We were, you know, Northeastern Americans. We are all white. We all speak English. Uh, We are all educated. We were born on third base. And so what can we do um, to shore up the dugout, as it were,
0: and help get more people on base? I love that so much. Like, to me, it's just a perfect example of like, the packaging doesn't matter, right? Like, not, and you know, like, obviously not saying the company itself doesn't matter. But like, what's so true, and what I think has caused it to be around for, you know, now in its second generation is, nobody woke up and said, I want to make a lot of money by making, you know, food and medical diet, they woke mm-hmm. up saying, I have this mission to you know, impact my neighborhood and to do business differently and to bring, you know, commerce into this area that I want to support because it, it's home for me and I just feel like that is so. That just really epitomizes that the the packaging is secondary. It's that strong mm-hmm. mission that actually enables that to continue. Right.
2: And you because yeah, I'll be. Yeah, I mean, I'll be completely transparent. Like some of our some of our dyes are really important and they're life saving. We're the only. We're like the only world, one of the only, I should say, like worldwide manufacturers of the stain that diagnoses cervical cancer, for instance. So we take that really, really seriously. Some of our other dye is not nearly as consequential. Um, (laughs) And other folks make it. And that is not why I get out of bed in the morning. You know, I get out of bed in the morning because like I was actually supposed to work from a different location today. And two of our customer service team were called out. And so I went in. Because I wasn't going to ask them to give up time with their kid or for them to be, you know, for them to, they don't, one of them didn't feel very well and would not have been effective today. Well, I can come in and do customer service. Um, And I went in to support them, not because I wanted to sell a bunch of dye. Like, we need to make money. I got to keep the lights on. And I know how much it takes to make payroll every week. Um, And we want to, we certainly have targets and we have KPIs and we have all that kind of other stuff. But at the end of the day, the main KPI is did everything get out the door on time, are our customers satisfied,
1: and are our people safe? Mm -hmm. And I think that is so admirable, and it it is why we we wanted to have you on the show to talk about it, because I think there's so much that goes into this, right? These things are are often very complex. But to, to hear it from your perspective, it almost sounds like a problem solved, which is just personally and professionally inspiring uh, to me as an individual, and I hope to others. And I know um, I had spent a lot of time in the K-12 education market, and I had a client once who was in talking to a superintendent in uh, a midwestern large Midwestern city, and he was selling math curriculum to them. And the superintendent at one point in the conversation said, you don't understand Because it was, I'm sorry, it was workforce readiness. And he said, you don't understand. I have students who have never seen a generation go to work. Mm. Right. And so they don't know how to show up on time. And they don't know, you know, what, they just don't know what that looks like. So it's a cultural, you know, it's like this whole new experience that they don't have a frame of reference for. And I couldn't personally imagine going into something where I have no frame of reference Mm -hmm. for what I'm doing. So, you know, I just think it's amazing when people are able to do that. So I love the fact that people come to you looking for jobs, right. And that you're willing to help them, to me this is like the the most perfect example of a true inclusion strategy right you are not just saying come work you're saying come be part of this and Mm -hmm. and with the whole financial literacy component to it and advocacy that's what it really takes and I was um it reminded me when you were talking a little bit earlier my father who I often mention on the podcast he's like our third host I know (laughs) right now I kind of just do it because it's like this little joke between me and Laura but um You know, my, my father was, I was talking to him about this a while ago, maybe a year ago, and he called me up one day. He said, you know what? He says, they're doing over something over in the New Jersey Department of Corrections over there where they have opened a restaurant and it's called the Mates. In which, as a word person, I love because it's inmates in mm-hmm. running the mates in. But it's giving them an opportunity to learn their culinary skills. So it's a restaurant that's open to the public. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the uh, DOC staff and administration that goes there, but the public goes there, and it's all young men, and they're learning real skills. Mm-hmm. So that when they do come out, they've got something that they can say, "Here, here's what I've learned to do." And the you know the reviews are the food is really good. It's not really <laughs> expensive. They can't use cash. So you get a special debit card when you go in. So so they're working around what would be typical, you know, constraints, Mm -hmm. you know, for people who aren't looking larger. But that also gives me hope too, that other Mm. entities um, are also thinking about this, making it even easier for um, other employers who certainly aren't as pioneering as your company, you know, and as heartfelt as your company to and your family to do this. So Kudos all the. It's, kudos. it's really
2: thanks. I mean, I think right. You know, it's I, I didn't ever want to be part of the day-to-day company because I didn't see I'm not good with numbers. Um, I certainly can't lift fifty-pound bags of raw material. I had no <laughs> idea where I could fit. Um, and then my brother is who I mean. And this is a great example of how sometimes the people closest to the problem can't solve it. So. My brother tried college for a couple of years. It was not his bag. And so he left college uh, and came home, moved home to essentially apprentice for dad started as a, as one of the plant managers, um, one of the supervisors and has since now moved up to, you know, CEO. Um, but we were on a family vacation five years ago now, six years ago now. And he just said, you know what? It would be really great is if you could move home and be our social worker, our in-house social worker. He goes, I don't need HR. Like, he's like, we have 24 Mm -hmm. people. I don't need a full-time HR person. What I definitely need is a full-time social worker. Um, Right. And so I was like, that is a, okay, why didn't we think of that before? Um, Right. And so I was in the middle of my PhD. I thought I was going to go into academia. I was already interviewing for professor jobs. And that shifted my whole thought. It was like, oh my gosh, no, this is actually what I've been training to do and I didn't even know it. Um, cool. And like now as my job has evolved onwards, I'm not there every day. Um, And so maybe I'm not front facing with some of our folks, but like if somebody comes to Brian with a problem, they pretty much know he's going to talk to me about it. We're going to work together um, to solve it. Me with my social work skills and him with his, you know, he knows these people really, really well. Um, And we're going to come up with a team solution of how to fix it and how to make people, how to, how to encourage more space at the table in their own lives. And it's been, as a social worker, what I've been taught is that everybody has dignity and every act in every day, either strips or builds people's dignity. And as an employer, if I do anything to intentionally strip their dignity, I, I do not, I no longer should have a right to be an employer. In my opinion, um, mm-hmm. my job should be to enhance dignity, because then therefore they'll turn around and enhance the dignity of others. Um, and so that's kind of it. me personally, as the COO of this whole mess that we, this circus we call Abby companies, um, <laughs> that's my job is to make sure that everybody can operate, understands that we trust them. We're going to verify their work. We're going to ask them a lot of annoying questions. I'm going to double check their work. I mean, we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to be at their back. But fundamentally, we trust them to do their job or they wouldn't be there. And that I believe we all believe that they are a person worthy of a paycheck and dignity and earning their own way in the world. And that the American dream is possible for them, too, as much as we can. Um, And my family and I will trade our privilege for that power to make that world uh, more possible for them.
0: So before Kelly and I start openly weeping on the podcast, Uh, I was like, if you could say I was like saying my hands over my heart, I'm like, oh my God, it's so, it's, I, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I just feel like, you know, you bring, you know, when Kelly and I bring guests on the podcast, our goal is to show that the proof is in the pudding. You know, you don't, it's not just Kelly and Laura pontificating about doing the right thing and treating people with dignity and, you know, doing business better we want to bring in leaders and experts who are actually doing it. You know, obviously you guys are making, you know, the business is making money. The business is making a profit. You're paying your people. You're making payroll every week. You know, it's not just a hobby thing to do things well. And I just feel like everything that you've just shared with us has really been, you know, beyond the proof and the pudding. And to me, I feel like it's been really, Inspiring, inspiring and you know knowing people personally who could benefit from you know the kinds of hiring practices and and employment practices that you guys do it's just it's absolutely amazing. So cannot thank you enough Dr. Kristen Donnelly for being with us today. Well, thank you. And certainly if anyone's listening, I mean this is stuff
2: that um I certainly consult on and so does my dad and and we're always Perfect. happy to talk about how we can make um especially I mean we're particularly versed in manufacturing, but we know that our um, our policies can kind of go um, out because it really just starts with questions. You know, we assume that we, a lot of other companies start with this big problem and they try to like solve the biggest problem and we just solve the most fundamental. We try to do the fundamental one first. Yeah. Um, Yep. And anyone who wants to, yeah, we're always happy to chat about how we can be better, how we can serve the business community
0: as well. Yeah. And Kristen, we'll link to um, everywhere people can find you in our show notes. So anybody that wants to find Uh, Any more contact and and get some more information, but tell us, Kristen, what, you know, folks can look out for, um, look out from you in the near future, where people can find you, and we'll put all that again in the show notes if that's easier for folks to grab that way.
2: So, um, we, Abby, all of the Abby companies have websites, um, but because we are manufacturing, we update them very rarely, we will admit. Um, But the best so the best place to find me and to constantly, um, you know, be bothered by my content is um, the is the consultancy firm abbey research a b b e y hyphen research.com and then we are abbey research on twitter and instagram and facebook Um, every day there you're going to find things about um, building resilient cultures so we talk a lot about conflict management emotional
0: intelligence
2: um, cross-generational leadership cross-cultural leadership how to navigate working with people um, and there's fresh content that we create every day across those various platforms. And we would love to have you join the conversation wherever you are comfortable.
0: Awesome. Love it. Awesome. So Abby research on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll link to all of that. And of course this episode will be tagged on all of those places. Dr. Kristen Dolly, thank you so much for being here today. This has been incredible. My it has been a joy. Thank you
1: for the privilege. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business, designed to bring out the best in you and your company. We welcome your reviews and ratings and would love to hear from you. Send your comments, suggestions, and questions through our online form at doinggoodbusiness.com. Stay in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting for all of your coaching and talent acquisition needs and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you incorporate the social business paradigm into your company. Learn more about us and our respective services at the Doing Good Business website. Thanks again for listening, and remember to expect good things from everything you do.